Welcome back to episode 2 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent in which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen this series and are only looking for a recommendation, there'll be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler free, where I give my overall opinion on the series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into The Seven Deadly Sins, which was released in 2014 by Studio A1 Pictures. It has 24 episodes in the first season, with both a sub and a dub. I watched The Seven Deadly Sins in dub. I think it's very well done, and I actually preferred the dub to the sub for this particular series. Uh, the way I discovered the series is that after finishing Goblin Slayer, I googled like good animes for beginners, and Seven Deadly Sins was at the very top of the list of that. And to be honest, I think that's the best way to describe this anime is that it's good for beginners. When I initially watched the series, I did enjoy it, but looking back now, I see more flaws than I did in my first watch through. And this was supposed to just be a review for season one, but I'm going to be talking about season two and season three, so there'll be minor spoilers for that. I know you shouldn't compare shows, but since I've watched more and more anime, I realized just how... Just how much Seven Deadly Sins isn't as great as I thought it was. So the story follows Elizabeth. She's the third princess to the kingdom of Leonis. She flees after discovering that the Holy Knights, who are the protectors of the land, have initiated a coup. Elizabeth makes it her mission to go out and find this outlawed group called the Seven Deadly Sins, who are suspected of committing an attack on the kingdom many years earlier, in which many Holy Knights died. Elizabeth hopes that returning with the help of the Sins, the Holy Knights will be stopped and her homeland will be saved, which is not a bad plan. But unfortunately, that's kind of where Elizabeth's usefulness kind of ends. Elizabeth is very underutilized in the first season. All she does is cry, Sir Meliodas, Sir Meliodas. And I mean, compared to the rest of the people she's traveling with, what do you really expect her to do? Through the whole season, she has like two good moments. The first is getting the mind control bell off the staff by taking a smack to the mouth. That was impressive. And the second is the big reveal at the end that she has healing powers which explains why everyone we saw close to her with fatal wounds didn't actually die. That was a very well thought of storyline that took place through the whole season, and that's something that this series actually does really well. I mean, this show sexualizes the hell out of Elizabeth. She's always rocking a tight-ass top and a short skirt. The fact that she can even move around is astonishing. It doesn't really bother me either way, but it's just with all the running around she does in this series, you think that she would wear something more easily to move in. I also see people get heated about all the pervy stuff Meliodas does to her, and I'll say a lot of the times it is unnecessary, like it doesn't add anything to the story, but then there's other times where it's kind of used in a creative way or like a funny way. So the like for an example, when she passed out in the first episode and he's feeling on her chest and she comes back to, and he's just kind of like, oh, I was looking for your heartbeat, I laughed my ass off at that. I can't even lie, I thought that was hilarious. Another time would be when he kind of steals her underwear so she can't jump when all the critters take her form, so he knows which one's the real Elizabeth. In instances like that, it's used in a creative way to where it kind of overshadows the creepiness. As for Meliodas, his introduction at the end of the pilot episode, I thought it was awesome. The fact he looked nothing like his wanted poster was really funny. The fact Elizabeth found the leader of the Seven Deadly Sins and like the strongest one first, I kind of thought that was cool because would, you would imagine they would save that for the end, like he would be the last sin they find. But she actually finds him first, which I thought was different, so I thought that was definitely cool. When we first meet Meliodas, I just kind of thought he was going to be a companion to help Elizabeth find the sins. I figured he'd have some like fighting abilities of his own, and he had his own reasons for trying to look for the sins. Which I mean is true, but him actually being one, I didn't see that until 
the shirt kind of ripped and it showed the tattoo that I was kind of like, oh, this guy, there's more to this guy. If you listen to my Goblin Slayer review, you'd know that I like my characters armored up. And we see flashbacks where the Sins have like this really fresh armor. But then in modern day, they're all just like Meliodas is rocking a white button up and a vest and a tie. All the Holy Knights get cool armor designs. And I just feel like the Seven Deadly Sins should have had Battle Gear too. And at first glance, like Meliodas looks like a badass because he's always fighting with a sword that's like has a broken blade. It's like, man, how awesome is this guy? But then when you actually find out the reason he always keeps it on him and he's like obsessed with like not letting it go is because the hilt's actually the last puzzle piece to let the demons out. That was another one of those moments where it's just things sprinkled out that pay dividends later on. So I thought that was another really cool thing that they did throughout the season. As for Meliodas being the sin of wrath, I would have liked to see him struggle a little bit more with that rage, which we do get later on. But I think there should have been more instances of him like really trying to fight off rage. For the majority of the series, he's just the most chill and laid back character out of everyone. Like he's just so chill. The fact that he's wrath is like, okay, I guess. The English voice actor, Bryce Pappenbrook, I think he did amazing voicing Meliodas. The way he switches from like angry to calm and playful, just the range of the emotions and how he portrayed Meliodas, I just, I thought it was superb. I thought he did a really great job. So then we get to Deanne, who's supposed to be the serpent sin of envy. But I mean, realistically, we see her jealous of Meliodas and Elizabeth for a couple episodes, but that's like it. And then I guess it could be argued that she's jealous of the humans and being like regular sized. But for that, I find it more that she's just like a good person and she gets judged because of her being a giant and she doesn't want to scare people. Like she wants people to be comfortable with her. And I see that less of like envy and more of just wanting to be accepted. And I think that's why she loved Meliodas like in the first place. Like he was never scared of her. He saw her as like a lady, not a giant. And then we get to Bond, the thief, the resident bad boy of the series. He's the fox in a greed, and I actually think they nailed him as greed. He's constantly going off on his own, doing his own thing, whatever he wants, he just does it. During the battle to retrieve Elizabeth from the Holy Knights, he just casually strolls away and goes looking for that horn because he wants information on getting Elaine back. And then he even agrees to kill his best friend just to get what he wants. As for cool moments, there is none more suave than Bond leaving prison just declaring I could have left whenever I wanted. And then he gets that Jericho special with a clean cut and complete beard shave. Like, that was such a dope scene. And maybe this was explained in the series and I just missed it. But if Bond was so hell-bent on getting Elaine back, I don't understand why he would just spend four years in prison. I mean, couldn't that have been better spent looking for a way to get Elaine back? Uh, and I know time is kind of relative to, like, the fairies, but they say Bond comes every year or every couple years to drop blood into the forest to help its regrowth. But if he was in prison, he did he just not go for four years? Or that, that part confused me as well. As for Bond's English voice actor, Benjamin Diskin, shout out to him. His voice depiction for Bond was perfect to me. All I need from a dub is make your character sound the way they look. I think they did it perfectly with Bond, and I can't imagine his voice being any other way. Shout out to them for that. I think they killed the uh, voice for Bond. Then we get to King, a.k.a. Harlequin, King of the Fairies. Probably my favorite character, or maybe it's just because I love Chastifold, the multi-purpose sacred treasure. And I also love how he controls it like a maestro, just with the two fingers. That looks sick. And without it, he's a completely useless fighter. Like, watching him trying to throw a punch in that tournament made me laugh so hard. As for King being the sin of sloth, I mean, it's all interpretation. If you want to look at it as, like, negligence, did he fail to do his duties as the fairy king? Yes. But he got messed up and had memory issues, so... You can't really put that on him. 
And then if you look at it as laziness, I mean, King did more fighting than anyone in this entire show. I mean, for the first season, at least. He's not really lazy either. If they wanted to portray Sloth, they should have just made him one of those characters who's sleeping all the time. Like he's just always floating around on Chastafold and then only comes in when it's really life or death. I mean, that would make his character kind of boring. I understand that. But for Sloth, I didn't see that fitting King great at all. I also think King has by far the saddest backstory. His fairy friends get massacred. All the survivors turn their backs on him. He has to kill his best friend more than once. His sister resented him so much when they went to the afterlife, she didn't even present herself to him. And then the girl of his dreams doesn't even remember who he is, even though he did that to himself. But still, like this man's gone through a lot. As for Gother, looking back, I really wish they would have just kept him like the childlike monster in the suit of armor that we're led to believe he is. Gother just gets more and more unlikable and annoying to me. What he did to Gila and her family and how his personality like becomes at the beginning of the second season, I thought all that was garbage. And then you find out he's a doll and it's just like, come on, man. Like at this point, I didn't even care about him as a character. And brushing up for this review, I saw all the explanations to why Gother acts how he does like but for me, I, I don't care. I think he was a poorly handled character. It was nice to see Merlin as a dime piece and not some old man with a long gray beard. And I enjoy the fact that she uses kind of more like traditional magic. And uh, her and Arthur strolling up to the gate with the illusion army. I thought that was a really great scene too. I personally wish they would have waited to introduce Merlin in season two. I felt like unlike the other characters, I mean, Deanne got a little short change too, but like with Merlin... I feel like we didn't get that like cool introduction like everyone else did. The animation for the series was really cool. There was, of course, some pulled back scenes where they started getting cheap with the details. But other than that, everything was really smooth. And then during season three, they had a studio change. And my God, did it ever go downhill. I'd already stopped watching long before this point. But I've seen like still shots and scenes. And that really famous one of like Meliodas like laying up from a bed. I mean, it was bad. It just, it looked awful, and I don't understand how that studio, Studio Dean, I don't understand how they were okay with putting that out. Like, they should be embarrassed. It looked awful. Like, if they had started with the series and that was just, like, their status quo, like, that's how it looked, but you can see such a drop-off from season one and two to three. Like, it would have taken much more than cool visuals to bring me back on board with the series, but that nosedive in quality, I mean, that wasn't going to help. As for the fights in season one, they were really good, but they were also very overhyped in my opinion. I've seen people put Bond versus Meliodas on their list of best anime fights of all time. If you think that was the best anime fight of all time, I have about 50 series that would blow your mind. I really liked how they used the lake metaphor to explain the sacred treasures and how it accesses magic. But as for the powers, they had some of the corniest names. I mean, maybe it's just the translation to English, but my god, there were some stupid names for their powers. And something I didn't enjoy about this series is that I get as the viewer we come in and the sins are very established, like they've been doing things for years, like hundreds of years. For every situation, one of them just had the solution. King had a dog when they needed to teleport, so it's like, I'll oh, just get in his mouth and you can go there. The Holy Knights try to finish off Deanne. King throws up this crazy awesome shield. It's like, oh, I'm sure we could have used that earlier. Meliodas in the final battle, he uses revenge counter. It's like, okay, you were just sitting on that for the entire season. It's just like, where does it end? Are they just going to always just pull out some solution for an issue? And then we're just stuck sitting there like, oh, I guess they always have that power. I mean, take Dragon Ball Z for an example. We see them training and develop their powers 
And if they're in a fight, they push past their limits and they go to new forms. But the seven deadly sins, it's just something they always had. And take Naruto as well. We see him study the scroll to get Shadow Clone Jutsu. Not that Meliodas needed a scroll when he uses it later. And I think it's season two, he starts using Shadow Clones, which I hated. But like we see the steps it takes for Naruto to learn Rasengan. Like Jirai teach him step after step. So then when he gets it, it's a payoff. We've seen the training. We see what it took to develop that. And then we see him training for hours and hours for Rasa and Shuriken with Kakashi. There's the payoff. We see the training, then the payoff. Sage mode, he goes and trains with the Toads. With the Sins, we never see them train, we never see them develop a power. And I get it, they're already established. But for me, it was just like, where does it end? The last positive thing I have to mention is when Gil Thunder was giving Meliodas a secret message that he was under duress and that's why he was working with the Holy Knights, like Margaret was under surveillance and threat. And it was another one of those things that it paid dividends down towards the end of the series. It had that big reveal. So I thought that was really cool. So now I'm going to discuss what really just turned me off of this series. The biggest thing for me is that this story just has no consequences. No one ever really gets hurt or dies. And I know that might seem dark, but it's just like, come on. Like the doctor and Veronica, I get that. They stayed alive because of Elizabeth. It added to her story and her reveal. Totally cool with that. But I mean... Hellbrum just keeps coming back to life. And then even when he is dead, he's not because he goes in the helmet. So it's like we still see him. And then with Elaine, like it establishes that fairy bodies don't disintegrate. So for me though, I'm just like, okay, clearly she's going to get brought back. We see her in flashbacks. We see her in the afterlife. And then like Dreyfus dies and then comes back possessed as a demon or some shit. Hendrix dies, but doesn't really die. Like at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if the night from the pilot episode who drank demon blood with Jericho and melted. I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually still alive out there doing something. It's just like, let some characters go. And then we get to Hawk. Hawk should have bit the dust and not come back. It was a heroic moment. He went out saving his friends. And for me, it's like, let him go out on that high. The talking pig thing was getting annoying. And it's not like he got any better in season two. They should have just let him go off, have that nice moment, and have that be something to push the rest of the characters forward. I mean, for me, that way you have like a reason to hate Dreyfus even more. There's just no consequences in this world. They introduce power and magic levels, which I mean, has Dragon Ball Z taught you nothing? Eventually, a power level is going to get too large to quantify, and then they're just useless. If you listen to my Goblin Slayer review, you know that I don't want a series to tell me how powerful a character is. I want them to show me. I don't need a little reading on what their magic power is. Like, show me. And that's what season one did. And I don't understand why they didn't just continue that into season two. In season one, we see Meliodas and Bond bring down that all-powerful shield. And they're just goofing around arm wrestling. Like everyone's so impressed they take it down and they were just goofing off. That shows me that even when they're messing around, they're just powerhouses. And I mean, Gilthender's main purpose in season one was just to show us how much better Meliodas is than him. Like go through the list. Gilthunder puts a sword in the ground at the village. The entire village can't make it budge. Meliodas pulls that thing out of the ground like a hot knife through butter. Gilthunder needs specific coordinates to throw the spear at the village. We learn later that he wasn't really trying to hit Meliodas, but I mean, his shot just goes into the middle of a field. Like Meliodas had to come out of the boar hat, go out in the middle of the field to like get the spear. And it's cool that he didn't just grab it and stop it. Like it took him for a ride and destroyed some stuff. So it was like, wow, like Gilthunder's strong. But then when Meliodas threw it back, he didn't need coordinates. And his shot didn't land in the middle of the field. It went right through the building Gilthunder was in, cut his face, and landed in his chair. 
So he didn't even overthrow it. It landed right in the chair where he wanted it to. Just showing how much better Meliodas is than Gilthunder. I mean, we see Meliodas break out of Gilthunder's electric bindings with ease. We see him goofing around pretending like he got hurt just to get information off of him. Gilthunder's purpose in season one pretty much was just to be Meliodas' benchmark. At no point did they have to tell you Meliodas was stronger. They just showed you. And then to add insult to injury and the signs of the Holy War, they turned Gilthunder into a Seven Deadly Sins fanboy. He acts like a little kid when he's around them. They took like a really cool character and at least for that little arc, they just made him into like a goof. Then season two continues on with the Star Wars philosophy of no one who dies is ever truly gone that the first season had like Matrona, the blonde giant. She went out like a boss, or at least we think she does, but no, she's still alive. What a surprise. As for the best girl of the season, it has to be small Deanne. And I know you're like, whoa, man, you don't like giant girls? That's not cool. No, I don't like pigtails. Deanne looks better with her hair down. And to be honest, Deanne wins best girl almost by default. I found the female characters in this show were not really awesomely written. For season one, I know it gets it will get better for them down the road. But for season one, Elizabeth was just annoying as hell. And at least Deanne had some beast moments and had some fighting skill and some cool scenes. Uh, the final nail in the coffin for me with season two was King and Deanne finally get all the bullshit out of the way. She remembers. She wants to be with him. He wants to be with her. And he finally mans up to go and tell her how he feels. But then the show's like, oh man, it might be a little early to have them get together now. Let's think of a creative way to keep them apart. Oh, I know. Let's erase her memory again. Like, come on, bro. Bite me. Are you for real? That's the best you could come up with? At this point, I was just done with the series. I was so over it. All right, now we get into final thoughts. I can't lie, though it hasn't aged well for me. I did enjoy watching The Seven Deadly Sins first season. But by the second season, too many little things had added up to where I didn't care about the story of the characters anymore. They tried to make elements of the show more complex than they needed to be, and it just didn't work for me. So my recommendation would be to watch the first season, and if it carries you into season two and you enjoy it, then great. If you're still interested to continue on with the series, that's fine. But if you get to the end of season one and you're unsure, just move on to something else because I don't think the show gets any better from here. Season two was a huge drop off to me to where I had to stop watching it and maybe you'll enjoy season two, but it wasn't for me. All right. Hope you enjoyed the review. See you next week. Bye.